Senior. I start getting my discounts in about three months. It's always interesting to be up here, eh? And you hear the comments people say. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the worship. Thank you for the celebration, all the good things. Take this time we've got. Bring something real, something meaningful, something that can happen during the week for each person here. Amen. Last time I talked about keeping our hope while we are waiting for God to act. Another part of persevering in trials is resisting spiritual attack. I've been pretty fortunate. I've been here about two years where I'm up here with you. And as far as I know, I don't think I've offended anybody. Or if I have, then you need to come and talk to me because nobody's come and talked to me about offending. Today might be one. So if you get a little bothered by this, let's chat. Turn to Nehemiah, chapter 4. A couple of weeks ago, I got done with what I was reading, and God said, go to Nehemiah. And I said, okay. So I read through it once and read through it twice. I go, now what do you want to say to me? And he said, land on here because I want you to talk about this. I do want to say up front that Bill Johnson has said Nehemiah is one of his favorite Old Testament books. I don't recall ever hearing him being in a place where he taught about this, but because it's his favorite book, and I've listened to him for about 25 years off and on, something I may say aligns with what he said. But what I'm sharing with you today comes from my heart and maybe from some of his influence that I don't know about. But this is my thought, and this is where I walk. But I just kind of wanted to give a, a props where props are due. Too often, Christians, particularly Christians in North America, have the mindset that they don't want to be involved in spiritual warfare. The whole idea of warfare sounds unfun to people. We want to come to church. We want to be loved by God. We want to do nice things. We want to be nice people. We want to love on people. We want to care about who people are. We maybe want to tell people about who Jesus is. We don't want to go to war. That just doesn't really seem to fit with what we want to do as Christians. But Christians, and maybe in North America more than any other place, are generally unaware of the realm of the Spirit, both Holy Spirit and what Holy Spirit is doing, and the demonic and what the enemy's doing. We're just not aware of it. Stuff comes and goes. We talk too much. We talk too little. We don't pay attention to what's around us. But whether we do or not, the spiritual realm is even more real than the physical realm. When we die, we turn in this body, but in the spiritual realm, we continue. Further, a problem we have in North America particularly is because we love rationality. We love to be able to explain everything. We want to have all of the stuff lined up and in order. And that's hard to do in the spiritual realm because we don't know all the stuff. For most churches, activity that is outside of our experience and understanding, when it is acknowledged to be spiritual, is recognized as demonic. 
one of the churches I was encouraged to not participate anymore, the issue was speaking in tongues. Now, speaking in tongues is entirely biblical. Read 1 Corinthians 14. It's massively a wonderful gift. But in practice, this church, who had it in their bylaws that said that they would, didn't want to do that. And so I was encouraged to go somewhere else with what I did. Because tongues was attributed to being demonic. Now, somewhere along the line, church, we're going to need to have more faith in God's ability to keep us than Satan's ability to deceive us. That, that's my wife, just in case you didn't know that. <laughs> Somewhere along the line, we are going to have to have more ability in God's ability to keep us, more faith in God's ability to keep us than Satan's ability to deceive us. I probably ought to say that a couple more times, but we'll move on. Those of you and a number of the people from Acts were impacted when Father's Blessing started at Airport Church, and maybe a number of the rest of you, um, when Father's Blessing started at Toronto Airport Church. And the manifestations really bothered some people, and they assumed it to be demonic. Even at the expense of when somebody who's just been on the floor and had some kind of a manifestation got up and go, I love God so much. But because of the manifestation, we assume it's demonic. The church assumes these things. The spiritual realm is very, very real. But most of what we encounter or have the opportunity to encounter is from God, not from the enemy. And y'all have read the back of the book, right? We win. If you don't get anything else from today, here's what I'd like you to get. Resisting spiritual opposition requires us to totally focus on God's character and promise and to continue to do what God's called us to do. That's how we overcome spiritual opposition. Resisting spiritual opposition requires us to totally focus on God, his character, his promise, and continue to do what God's called us to do. I said Nehemiah 4, right? If you're here and you have your Bible, get it out, because we're going to go through a section. I'm going to talk, read a little bit, talk about it, read a little bit, and talk about it. You can read the entire account of the building of the walls in the temple in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. You might want to read that. It's kind of interesting reading. Short, ter- short, quick condensation of it is many Israelites were taken captive by the Babylonians and, and trucked off to Persia. Some remained in the area of Jerusalem. Those who remained had been trying to b- rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. Some 40 or 50 years, several decades for sure, into the process, Nehemiah hears about what happened back at the homeland, that they were unable to build the walls. Now, Nehemiah was the cupbearer of King Artaxerxes. He was the most trusted person in the kingdom because the kingdom, the king trusted Nehemiah to taste his food. 
to make sure that he wasn't going to get poisoned. You've got to trust the guy you're counting on to keep you alive in case somebody's trying to kill you. And that was Nehemiah. Nehemiah heard about the walls not being rebuilt and the, all the difficulties they were having, and he went to the king and said, will you let me go back and build the walls? The king said, yes, because I trust this guy more than any, anybody else. Nehemiah had the favor of God. Favor is always a fun thing to have. He went back, but he also went back with letters of authorization in case anybody asked what he was doing. He went back with the financing to, make, to build the walls, and he went back <coughs> excuse me, with letters that said, here, give them lumber, give them all the things they need to be able to build the wall. He got all that from the king. And so we pick up the account in Nehemiah chapter 4, first three verses. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? You know, you can't read verse 2 without kind of getting a sneer. What are these guys doing? You almost have to put it in there. What are these Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from these heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Even if a fox climbed up on it, he would break down their walls of stone. Sanballat and Tobiah are symbols or types of demonic attack. See, this isn't just a story back then. It's a symbol or a type of how we get attacked. Now, I have more good news for you. We were born in a war zone. Unless Jesus comes back, we will die in a war zone. It's not an option of saying, I want to participate, I want to be Switzerland and not participate. We don't have that option. We are in a war. Like it or not, we are in a war zone. Paul and Peter and James all wrote about this interaction that we have, whether it's, you know, don't give place to the devil, put on spiritual, you know, armor, all those kind of things. It's a normative part of Christian life. Why does this matter? How many people are satisfied right now with where they're at? Don't raise your hand. Where you're at in your walk with Jesus. Most of us are going to say, no, I'm not satisfied. I want more. Yeah? I want to be more effective. I want to walk in more purity. I want to walk in more love. I want to see more of the kingdom expand. We're all there. When we choose to become more mature in our Christian life and start to advance in our spiritual gifts and demonstrate the kingdom and have power encounters, we are going to have spiritual opposition. Guaranteed. Aren't you glad you came today? Because, see, what I want to talk about is how we overcome when we have that happen. And it is not by yelling louder. Now, just to make sure that we're able to relate to today's teaching, picture, if you will, a city with walls, four walls. We are like a city with walls. And we have all these walls built or not built, 
And let's say one side, for instance, in my life, one side that's well-built is honesty. I don't get attacked to steal or to lie. I just don't get that much because it's not a big thing for me. Maybe it is for you. That part of the wall is pretty solid. I have another part of the wall that isn't. For me, a big challenge is sarcasm. I use sarcasm for much of my growing up life and into my early 20s as a way of keeping people away. I am way too good at sarcasm. I can be sarcastic, but I'll make it hurt to make sure you stay away. That was one of my primary ways of keeping people from getting close because I didn't feel good about me, so you didn't want to get close to me, and I didn't want to get close to you. That place is vulnerable. When I'm around people who are being sarcastic, I feel it. There's a draw to go there. I'm still working on that part of the wall. Do you get how this is going to fit with each one of your lives? As we're talking about building walls, it's building those places of protection. That's what a wall is, right? It's to protect us. And so we're building protection so that we can be much safer from enemy attack. So this story isn't just about some guy a long time ago who wanted to build a wall to keep his people safe. It's about us building a wall so we're going to be intact, so we can be the most effective men and women for God that we can be. And as we're building walls, one of the things that will happen is we are going to get attacked, like what happened. Now, what's one of the most common ways that the enemy attacks us? Well, go back and look at verses 2 and 3. Intimidation and condemnation are two of the most common ways we get attacked. You step out to say, okay, I'm going to prophesy to the person in the, in the desk next to me at work. I'm going to give them a prophetic word. Do you all know the voice that comes and says, you can't do that? Who are you to think that you could do that? They're going to laugh at you. You're not even supposed to do that at work. You're not good enough to do it. Do you remember all the sins that you've committed in the last week? Does anybody recognize that voice besides me? Am I the only one that hears that? A couple more people. Yeah. One of the most common ways that we get attacked spiritually is to be condemned or intimidated. Remember the last time you prayed for somebody who was sick? They didn't get well. What do you think is going to happen this time? You're going to look stupid. Now we go, well, that's just our thoughts. That's not our thoughts. We just said we want to go pray for healing, right? And then this stuff comes pouring in that just beats us up. Now, it's not somebody diving on the floor and writhing around like maybe you've seen in, you know, documentaries about Christians, and and it happens. I've seen it. But in North America, one of the most common ways is that very thing, where we get accused and put down, condemned, and it's all up here. And it isn't us. Does any, do any of us set out to go, you know what? I want to do something good. I think I'm going to think about condemning thoughts. Who's doing this? The enemy says, you ain't building your wall. You're not going to get done what you want to do and what God wants to do. 
Do you recognize that voice? Is it coming up times that you kind of get it? Ridicule, you're feeble, questioning, you feel humiliated. You can't, you won't, you aren't good enough. Who do you think you are? Why do you even try? Yeah? Have I got the right group? Okay. Another thing about that voice that sounds like us kind of, but it isn't really because it doesn't resonate here in our spirit, is it's usually angry. Who do you think you are? What's wrong with you for even trying to do that? You know how stupid you're going to look? They point. You know, like in my head, they point. You can smile. It's okay. We have to have a few things that are kind of like, okay, that's pretty normal stuff. For instance, when somebody you're interacting with, maybe it's at work or a business relationship or something, you're talking and they just go to a whole nother level of angry. It's over the top for what you're talking about. How did it shift from we're kind of having a disagreement to they just start saying things about your character, your person, all that kind of stuff? Demonic. They probably weren't thinking about that when they started either. But if their walls are so far down, they can have the enemy just come in and just trigger stuff in them. So how do we respond? Well, if our walls are really damaged, we usually agree with the accusation and quit. Yep, I can't do that. I'm not good enough. Yeah, I don't know why I was thinking that thing. I've never prayed and this has happened before. We tend to agree with that voice that comes in and it sounds real authoritative and it gets angry. And I don't want to be angry because I'm a loving Christian. I don't want to, you know, get into fights. We stop. We don't contend for our function. Appreciate what Hanny said. When I first started teaching, it was terrifying to me to get in front of people. That's why I had the whole sarcasm thing was to keep people away so I wouldn't have to be around people. And now you're sticking me in front of people. I don't like this. I don't care if I'm good at it or not. I don't want to do this people thing. When the accusation comes, we pull back from doing it. It took a long time for me to get to the place where I would sit in front of three other people and lead a Bible study. I'd go home and I was exhausted, not from the Bible study, from trying to be with people and going, do they like what I'm doing? Do I get it? I don't know what I'm doing. This whole people thing was just really difficult. When the enemy comes, we stop contending for what God's calling us to. Whenever we're finding out that the interaction with someone and the things they say or the, the enemy says through that or says straight into our mind, we stop moving forward. We quit praying. We quit praying for things like your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth. We pray help prayers. Everybody prays those. Atheists pray those. Everybody prays help prayers. We quit praying, God, how are we going to do this situation different? Because that voice comes. And then we accept that we cannot impact the kingdom of God in the places where we work or in our family, with our neighbor that we wish would be quieter or whatever. That's what the voice does. When the outcome isn't just an expression of you know, frustration between two people, but it causes us to step back, to not be who God has called us to be, we're under spiritual attack. 
How do we respond when the enemy tries to intimidate us? One more time, remember, resisting spiritual opposition requires us to totally focus on God's character and promise and continue to do what God has called us to do. Verses 4 through 6. Here's Daniel's, Daniel, sorry, Nehemiah's response. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with a heart, all their heart. Resisting spiritual opposition happens when we turn to God. A lot of times people want to try to engage the thing, but the first thing we do is turn to God. And we forget because we got this thing. It might be a coworker or a business associate or the next door neighbor coming at us. It's hard to not go, okay, this is not the problem. I got to go to God. That's hard. It requires us to change the way we do things. Now, we don't ask God to do these things to the person who's bringing it. We love people, right? (laughs) I hope. We're not saying do this to the people. We're saying do this to this spirit that's coming against me because the whole issue is the spiritual realm, not the person who's being manipulated by the enemy to beat me up, to verbally abuse me. So we're not saying do it to them. We're saying do it to the thing that's making them do it. What did Paul say? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against that person. It's against the powers and the principalities and forces in dark forces in high places. That's who we fight with. That's where spiritual warfare comes from. That's how we fight it back. We turn to God. Recently, I've been connected with a person who is really influenced by a victim spirit. A victim spirit says, poor me, pay attention to my pain, my difficulties, regardless of what's going on in your life, regardless of what you've asked for, regardless of why we're interacting together, pay attention to my pain and adjust your life and all that you do to fit around my pain. Very manipulative. I have, on multiple occasions, called out to God to return on the enemy of this, my enemy working through this woman for all that they, the spirits, have said about and to me through this woman. She's broken. She needs healing. Those spirits need to go back to hell where they came from. Bring back all that they said that they want to do to me through her. Bring on them and send them back where they came from. Are you understanding the difference? Our enemy is not the person that, the, that Satan is using to, to attack us. We got that? We still love that person. We still value who they are. I've tried generally successfully to affirm that person's identity while disagreeing with some of the things they've chosen to say and do. It's not always easy. But that's the starting place for resisting spiritual opposition. Who is God 
What, what is he saying through someone else? Or what's he saying up here in our thoughts? Verses 7 to 9. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the men of Ashdod heard that the repairs of Jerusalem walls had gone on ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. One of the most common themes in spiritual warfare is the enemy's angry. And whether it's angry thoughts you've got up here or angry words that are being expressed through other people towards you, anger is a common characteristic of spiritual opposition. So they got angry again. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Demonic opposition will continue until the demons know that we know we have won. Y'all hear that? Demonic opposition will continue until the demons know that we know. See, there's no question in God's mind. He wins. It's already a done deal for, for God. There's no question in the demons' mind. They already know they've lost. Those are without question. The only question in dealing with spiritual opposition and spiritual warfare is us. Do we know that we've won? Deliverance and standing against demonic attack is all about authority. It isn't about saying the right prayers. It's not about doing the right thing. It's about do I know I've got it or not? Do you know you've got it or not? When that person gets in your face, when that person is saying something, when the thoughts come rushing in about all the stuff you're not, do you know you've won already? If you know you've won, deliverance is a piece of cake. If you don't know you've won, you're in for a long trek. The first time I ever saw one of those things you see on, on videos about people, it was, a, it was a, uh, a nine-year-old girl, really demonized. Four adult women had to hold her down. I looked at it, I go, okay, God has won. Satan has lost. My job is to do this. I don't know if I can do this. It was long and it was tiring. And I think the demon finally left because it was bored or something. I don't know. It's just like, oh, God, he's going to just do this. For, this is not worth it. I'll just go bug somebody else. I didn't know. Later on in the same trip, I got another one that was just very, very active. And I go, okay, this time I know. You got to stop. And the thing was done in 15 seconds or something like that. The only thing that changed was what I knew. It, the demon will... Come and attack you, that person in the deck next to you that's vulnerable and got no walls and says all this kind of stuff to you. It will happen until you know that you, are, you have won. They know you know you're going to win. It's all about authority and knowing what you've got. See, they know they've lost. The only hope a demon has of oppressing or attacking you is th that we will agree with the lies they're saying to us rather than the truth of what God says. It all comes down to that. They will keep coming 
until they know that you know you won. Now, we're not really talking about, you know, in North America, we don't do that a lot. They send people who have those kind of conditions to hospitals. Our stuff is things that people say to us or that things we hear which are completely out of context of what we think or what God thinks. Now, notice in this little passage, a second step is added. They went to God again, but verse 9 says that they prayed, then they posted a guard to the threat. After I recognized, okay, this, this person is trafficking in a victim spirit, and it's getting dumped on me. I prepared for the next visit. I posted a guard, if you will, when I was going to interact with that person. I remembered, okay, victim spirit always tries to control. I'm going to be in a place where they're going to try to manipulate around to get me to do what they want to do the way they want to do it. And I'm going to end up feeling bad for them, even though it's their issue and they're trying to impose it on me. I was ready. I know when it comes, I'm not buying into that whole thing. Because I win. I got enough of a wall, it can't get in. So I'm going into it ahead of time, because now I know. First time I was caught off guard, you don't expect to go into that kind of a transactional relationship and get beat up by the enemy. You You just don't expect that. Okay, maybe they had a bad day. But third or fourth time, you're going, okay, I know who you are. It does not have the ability to influence and impact me. They can say it, I can hear it, but it doesn't impact me. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, watch over your heart. It is the wellspring of life. God's telling us, whatever you do, however you want to do spiritual warfare, whatever else may be, watch over your heart, because that's the wellspring of life. So when somebody comes at you, have you got a protection up on your heart? Is the thing, the, the, the venom that they're trying to get to you with, the boss who's insecure in their own well-being, and so they try to, like, enforce things on you, are you ready and protecting of your heart? Just a thought, but why would God tell us to protect our heart if there wasn't the danger that something could happen to our heart? He's serious about saying, watch over your heart. If you're into a situation where you could be attacked and beat up and talked about and people are going to say something about you, protect your heart. They can't get access to this. I'll pray for anybody but only safe people get access to this. Hello? Just because we are Christians doesn't mean I love everybody equally the same and everyone has access to me and everybody can do it. No. Above all else, watch over your heart. Guard your heart diligently. It's the wellspring of life. Who gets in? People that take care of me. 
doesn't mean we shut ourselves off from everybody. It just says some people don't get access. Sure, we'll pray for anybody. 10 to 12. Not the time, it's 10 to 1. Ten to, verses 10 to 12. Meanwhile, the people of Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Sometimes people say, well, you don't want to have negative confessions. In my opinion, that is not a negative confession. That's a statement of fact. We don't have a problem with negative confessions about facts. Where our problem usually comes is, what do we do with it once we've identified the facts? It's a declaration to God that says, God, I got no more to go with this thing. I cannot do this anymore. What it is. Make our request known to God. We're supposed to do that. The issue generally is, what do I do with it once I recognize this? And that's where we tend to have problems. Verse 11 continues. Also, our enemy said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to their work. Verse 11 is same old, same old, blah, blah, blah. Satan, we're going to kill them. We're going to wipe them out. We're going to make everything better. You know, same old Satan stuff. It's no big deal. It's like, yeah, get a new line. But 12 is interesting. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over. Who is them? In this thing, it's the enemy. And he's saying the Jews who lived near them came to us and said 10 times, whenever you, wherever you turn, they will attack us. It's one thing to have the enemy come and say, you're not going to make it. We're going to attack you again. Who's doing it here? It's part of our team. If you listen to the radio very much, if you read a fair number of books and blogs, Christians are doing exactly that to each other. How close do you live to the enemy? What comes out of your mouth? What kind of things are people likely to hear from you during difficult challenges? What kind of stuff are we saying? You're in business. It's a tight month. Oh, it's a tight month. The checkbook's looking tight. That's not a negative confession. But what do we do after we recognize here's the state of things? I don't know if we're going to make it. From hell. I don't know if we got enough money to pay the mortgage. I can add. I used to be an accountant. I know when there isn't enough. But what comes afterwards? Oh, I think we're going to lose the house. Where'd that come from? God gave you the house. God gave you the things. Nobody's ever said this, but I did and had to repent from it. I'm sure you haven't said it. Boy, wait till your kids become teenagers. It's hell on earth then. Who did we just align with when we said that? Yeah. We just made this declaration. And remember, when we declare, 
Whoever we agree with, we just came into covenant with. We just agreed to align with hell when we make that declaration over our teenagers. Now, I know none of you will have to go back and repent and break agreement with that, but I did. Because that's what I heard. When you get to be a teenager, all hell breaks loose in your house. Then the Jews who lived near the enemy said, they're going to keep on attacking us. What kind of stuff are we listening to? What kind of stuff are we saying? We're doing pretty good right now, Mary and I, even though we've had kind of a challenge the last little while. How many have said we're having trouble in our marriage? Well, maybe we are. We went through challenges just like everybody else. I don't think we're going to make it. Who does that align with? The divorce rate in the church is very close to the divorce rate outside the church because We've agreed with the enemy. I don't think we're going to make it. See, our words form a covenant. And we're either covenanting with God to agree, God put us together, let no man take it apart. Or, I don't think we're going to make it. Maybe I need to start looking somewhere else. We make that covenant with our mouth. You can sign and do all the other kinds of things in covenant, but covenant starts and is initiated and sealed by what we say. And our covenant language says, I'm agreeing with the enemy when I say this ain't going to work. I need to look somewhere else. Or God put it together. Nothing is going to take it apart. Somebody say amen or oh my or God help me or something. We've got to get this. Our words, Proverbs says our words are life and death. Whatever we declare is going to be life or it's going to be death, depending on what comes out of our mouth. And how close we live to them is going to influence a lot which covenant we agree with. What did the enemy say? The demonic very predictably said, it's not going to happen, you're going to lose, you're going to be defeated, blah, blah, blah. But when the, Jew, the Jewish people said who lived close, it was a whole different story. What are the people around you saying? Back to this person I have relationship with. There was one particular thing that they said that was consistently negative in in the transaction we were doing. It was consistent every single time. Some of the times it was the only thing said. I go, give me an update. What's the status? This one thing. And I'm going, okay. I'm driving to this meeting and I'm going, I'm not listening to this again. I have given her room. Not anymore. I sat down and said... Do not talk to me about this again. I'm looking at her eyes, and if those of you who have done deliverance and done, with, done this kind of a thing, 
their eyes cloud up a little bit. There's a little bit of confusion there. It's like, okay, I got, I got the one I want to talk to. She wasn't there as much as it was. And I looked at it and said, it, do not talk to me about this again. I know it's a factor. You have told me again and again. Going forward, I want to hear a report that is equally balanced, positive and negative. But you must never include this item again. If you do, I will cut you off and terminate the discussion. Am I clear? And her eyes go boom, and she was back. And she said, yeah? I said, it's okay. I'm just not going to hear that anymore. See, spiritual warfare isn't just about somebody writhing on the ground, vomiting when they get delivered. It's about people who are attacking us where we live day to day. And we have just as much capacity to turn that off as we do somebody who's, you know, really manifesting demonically. What's interesting was this thing that was negative, that was continually being brought up, had no factor in the final outcome. It was just hell's nonsense. To whom do we listen? To whom do you listen? Are we watching over our hearts? Are we going to God? Are we continuing to build the walls? Last thing. In 30 seconds, 13 to 15, therefore I stationed some people at beyond the lowest, behind the lowest points of the wall and at the exposed places, posting them by families, their swords, their spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Don't be afraid of what's coming against you. Remember the Lord, because we win. Who is great and awesome. Fabulous music today, Suj, that song, so fit. He will fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot, see, they know that we know. And that God had frustrated it. We all returned to the wall, each to his own work. Notice this was a family and corporate strategy. He didn't say, you, as the head of the household, you go out and face the enemy. He said, the families go. Men and women, a city river, we are better when you're all here. We are better as a community because you go to cell group, you go to study groups, you go to groups that meet to talk about the kingdom. We are stronger because we do that because each one goes to his own place. It's not... Henny, you're the apostolic leader in this church. Go get him, dude. We're behind you. Come, Jesus, and do it for Henny. No, we're better when we all do it. Moms and dads and kids, your family will be better when you start teaching your kids these principles now because they're living in a, in a world I got no clue how to even navigate. They're learning stuff at 10 I didn't know about till I was 20. I grew up in, in a North America that still 
had basic Christian values, and we don't have that now. Your kids need to know how to do this, and they'll learn because you teach them principles at home. That thing that comes to bug you at, in, in, the, in bed at night, here's what you do with it. The kid who says these things to you and they're hurtful, here's what you do with it. We're better because of community. And that's what he said. It's the whole group doing it. Everybody takes their place. Everybody has their spot. I can't do what Hanny does. I don't even want to do what Hanny does. I don't have a passion for that. I love being aligned with somebody who can do something and wants to do something I don't want to do, and vice versa. We all are better because we're doing it together. And that includes winning spiritual warfare battles. How is the battle won? When our enemies know that we know what they are doing, and we know that God has brought victory. Those two factors are the keys to resisting spiritual opposition. Resisting spiritual opposition requires us to totally focus on God's character and promise and continue to do what he's told us to do. The rest of it will take care of itself. Father, I thank you that we have already won. That's so awesome. We have already won. And I thank you that you're calling this community to rise up and walk together to further live a life that's impactful to our neighbors, our family, our city, wherever you place us, that we just get to win more. And you're calling us to do that because it's all a part of the finished work of Jesus in our life. We love you for that, God. Everybody said? Have an overcoming week. Bless you guys.